0: Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory.
1: Today we are reading from Malachi 4. Um, if you'd like to follow along on the screen soon, thank you. Um, and we've got Bibles on either side of the aisle. <clears throat> Excuse me. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction.
0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Lachlan. Um, sorry, we didn't get to watch a nice video. You're going to have to listen from me instead. But we are drawing to a close for our series on the book of Malachi. It's a short but sweet uh, book of the Bible, uh, only four chapters. and uh, But I think it packs a punch. And I hope that it has so far challenged you and blessed you. And I I hope today uh, God also does challenge you and bless you with uh, what we're going to uh, dig into today. Because in a couple of weeks it's Christmas. We're going to start our Christmas series already, believe it or not. Um, So we're going to finish off our Malachi series today. And I'm excited for it and I hope you are too. Uh, But before we get started, let's dedicate this time to the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father, I thank you for each and every one of us who are here today, uh, listening on the car or out on a walk in the podcast as well. Bless them right now, Lord. Be with them and draw them close to you. We thank you so much for your word. What a gift it is Um, is so that you're never silent. You're never silent because we've always got your word. Thank you for the life-giving, life-saving, life-changing power that lies between these pages. And today we pray that you directly speak to us. May you open our heart to your message for us and may it be received and be fruitful in our lives to impact your kingdom. Amen. Some of you may know that I love running, which is a weird thing for me to say out loud. Three years ago, I hated running, but I've recently uh, really got into this, this running thing. Show of hands, any runners out there, like real runners? A few, only a few, there's only a few of us. We need to, hey? I've got a pair. You've got a pair of runners? Fantastic, you should use them, you should use them. You've got two feet, two runners? So you're a fan of running shoes, that's a good start. I, I like to run, I run most days of the week, um, and I enter all sorts of running races from the five kilometre all the way up to the 42.2 kilometre, that's the marathon, um, but I have these reoccurring nightmares all the time. All of a sudden, in these dreams I have, it's, it's race day, it's like, okay, it's race day today, and I didn't realise it, or, or I didn't see it coming, and I'm totally unprepared, and I'm in very uncomfortable situations. So I've got the sweats, I haven't been doing the right training or I haven't been doing any training. I forgot my shoes, I didn't ask Paul for my shoes. I'm not wearing any clothes, you know that old story. I don't have the right registration, so I'm running twice as long as everyone else or I'm not allowed to go in the race. I have all these nightmares about about race day. And then in most of these dreams, the starter's gun will go off and I'll start running and I'm sure you've you've had this sensation where you, you feel like you're in quicksand and you're running in your mind, but you're not going anywhere? It's a nightmare. And these are the sort of dreams I wake up from, and for a minute, they feel so real, they feel like they happen. And I, and I think, oh, what day is it, you know, what am I doing today? You know, those first thoughts you have in the morning, and then I'm so relieved that this didn't actually happen to me. And these marathons, half-marathons, all these races, they're big events for me. I would spend a lot of time, maybe too much free time, if you ask my wife, thinking about them and preparing for them. Um, But today's text, we're focusing on a much bigger event than just a big running race or anything. It's the day of the Lord. Today we're going to be talking about getting ready, about being ready for the day of the Lord. In doing so, I want to talk a lot about Jesus today. I hope that's okay. Here's our mission to follow Jesus. because I remember a sermon from Alastair Begg. He talks about... um, when we take our eyes off Jesus, we lose our way around the Bible. So today we're focusing on the Bible, but really we, want, we need to focus on Jesus. The Old Testament, that's where Jesus is predicted. The Gospels, Jesus is revealed. The Acts of the Apostles, Jesus is preached. In the Epistles, Jesus is explained. And in the Book of Revelation, Jesus is expected. So today we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about his prediction. Also, I don't know, this is just me personally, this may not be all... Preachers here, but I want you to encourage. I want to encourage you to hold your phone while I'm preaching, because I think it's a, I think it's an important tool, and I'll tell you why. It's 2019 for one thing. I spend all my time on my phone. Don't ask my wife about that either. If you want to take notes on your phone, I encourage that. If you want to have the Bible app ready, because you might not have your own Bible, I encourage you to have the Bible ready. Get some context on the passages I'm referring to. Just go ahead. If you want to check something in a concordance while I'm spitting out heresy, that might not happen, (laughs) but do it. That would make my day. So I just want to say, have your phones on you, do that. That's just my personal invitation. It may not be for all all other preachers, all right. So let's get into it. Malachi 4. Malachi 4. Impending judgment of God is described in vivid terms. Those who dishonor God will be consumed... In the furnace of judgment, those who respect him will be healed and set free. Malachi is appealing on behalf of God for Israel to be faithful to the covenant that God made with Moses. After promising the return of Elijah to once again appeal to the people, God will be silent for 400 years. So this is the last book of the Old Testament. And then God's not speaking necessarily for 400 years after that. And this silence won't be broken until the appearance of John the Baptist. So that's the setup. This day is coming. Uh, But to put this language back into context, I do want to go right back to the start when God first created the heavens and earth and it was perfect. What was perfect about it was that we were in relationship with God. But Satan came and he tempted us with a promise of the ability to be like God. And this brought death into the world and became our foundation. This is, it was our currency now, death. And they got so out of hand down the track in Babylon or Babel that humanity, they built a tower to elevate themselves as high as God. And God wasn't having any of this. So he confused us all. He scattered us everywhere, gave us different languages, and we are all split up and, and we are ruined. But what happens in Babylon, this is a pattern for many years to come. The next example could be Egypt, where King Pharaoh is threatened by the Israelites, um, starts locking them up, killing the boys, because Pharaoh, he was thinking like he was God. It's like Babylon on steroids. They're deceived into thinking that the actions of evil are doing good for the nation. We read in Exodus about Pharaoh's pride, and he refused to listen to God's messenger Moses, time and time and time again, which eventually led to death. God kills every firstborn son in Egypt, including that of the Pharaoh, but spares the Israelites who smeared the blood of the lamb on their door. And in Exodus 12 14, we read, This is a day you are to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall celebrate this as a festival of the Lord, a lasting ordinance. This great day, the Israelites, they celebrated for Centuries, and they marked the occasion by eating a sacrificial lamb, and they called it Passover. So Israel eventually, they, they came into their own lands, uh, they had their own rulers, they had new enemies, and they had hope that another day will come and God will defeat their enemies again. And then we, we read Moses. Uh, Moses? Amos. It's got an M and an S and an O. Amos. Amos, he is a shepherd. He's a somewhat of a curator of Ficus carica sylvestris. That's fig trees. It looks good on a resume that way, fig tree farmer. He was, getting, he was getting fed up with the Israelite king of the time, Jeroboam II. He'd won some battles, he'd made some money, and this was all getting to his head. I remember a couple of weeks ago, Luke talked about bad bosses? Not the movie, but the, the bad bosses in history about different leaders like Hitler and Churchill. And Jeroboam Jeroboam, he was on the bad side. He was deceiving himself that evil was for good. And uh, God spoke through Amos to tell Israel that God would bring another day of the Lord against his own enemies. But this time, Israel was in his sights. Amos eight eleven says, The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. It's just like back in Genesis No more God. And it does come true because Israel is conquered, they're captured, they're exiled, the temple is destroyed. And they live under these oppressive empires, empire after empire after empire, right through up until when Jesus was born in the times of the Roman Empire. And so now we're thinking, okay, Jesus is here. He's going to save us from the Romans, the evil empire. That should be his target. But no, the evil that Jesus is going after is the one that tempted Adam and Eve. It's the one whose promise of power that Babylon and Egypt and Rome and Israel and all humanity we've given into. What Jesus did was rescue us from death with death. He let evil exhaust all its power on him using evil's own real weapon, which was death. And Jesus knew that his his God's love was even more powerful than death. And by becoming the Passover lamb himself, he could overcome. So now we have a new way of living. A hope and a way out of this Babylon, so to speak. But we're still surrounded by evil. So, did Jesus really win? Well, yes. But this is where we come to the fin- all the way to Revelation. This points to the future and the final day of the Lord. Jesus is symbolized as a sacrificial lamb. And when he does arrive victorious on his white horse, he's already covered in blood before the battle, representing the sacrifice that he made for us so we wouldn't have to. Jesus doesn't want to come for us, not like in Amos. He wants to starve. He wants to save us himself. His blood is shed instead of ours. And his weapon, a sword, it's not in his hand, it's in his mouth. Another symbol that this God defines good and evil and sovereignty over all creation. So that's a bit of a long-winded background on what we think about in the Bible when when we think about the day of the Lord, and I hope that helps give you some context. So let's go to our text today. Uh, we'll go to verse 1 to 3. Surely, so it's happening. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will, stubble, will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise up its healing rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves, and you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles. The day of the Lord, this is a promise that he will free our world as we know it from corruption. But it's just as much a warning that if we're on the wrong side of this belief and acceptance, it's going to be very uncomfortable, and it will feel like forever. Last week, I thought Craig gave us a, a, a great message from Malachi 3, the themes of which have flown into chapter 4. Um, it took us, a great, took us through a great study of those end times. He talked about the serious of, seriousness of hell, where the unrighteous go, a place of unquenchable fire and punishment, and of heaven. Craig des- describes a place where, and I quote, we will see there the fulfillment of everything that we know to be good, and right and desirable in the universe. Perfect love, peace, joy, truth and justice, holiness and wisdom, power and glory and beauty. What a place. I tried to think of a place on earth like this and I, I couldn't even comprehend. I thought about my wedding day, the birth of my son, about getting a dream job, about performing in front of thousands, about running marathons or just rolling around the floor laughing with family and friends. And if I condense that and put it all together in just one second, I think my heart would explode first of all. But that's just a glimmer. It's just the tiniest pixel-sized glimpse into this great and awesome day, which is eternity. So I do absolutely recommend... Um, if you weren't here last week or if you haven't yet, go back and uh, have a listen to Craig's sermon on Malachi 3 um, because it covers a lot of what's in Malachi 4. But I do want to just briefly cover off on those first three verses of the text today before we get into the main message, which we are going to get to soon, I promise. The great and awesome day is coming. It brings first judgment. Remember, throughout the book of Malachi We have seen that there are people in Israel claiming that God delights in those who do evil and that he allows the wicked to put him to the test without passing any judgment. Remember that these same people, they decided that it's useless to serve God and there's no real reason to do what he says or even pretend to be sorry for their sin. And God says things will not end well for them. This judgment commenced when Jesus went to the cross and was judged in our place. And it will be completed on this great and awesome day God is preparing. And this is a key for all you note-takers. Sin is going to be punished. It's either going to be on the cross or eternity. But it will be punished. And that's the reality of this day God has promised to bring about. A day when his justice will be displayed for all to see. And secondly, there will be healing. Those who are faithful to God and follow Jesus and, and, and just thus be written in, in the book of remembrance or as part of his treasured possession, this will be a day, of he, a day of healing. We see in verse 2 that the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. On this day, Jesus, who is the light of the world, will rise up and bring about healing and restoration, not just to his followers, but to all God's creation. This healing will be physical, spiritual, emotional, and it will be permanent. The Son of Righteousness will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. That's from Isaiah. And the source of this healing will be none other than the suffering Jesus himself. Uh, In Isaiah 53, verse 5, his wounds, we are healed. And thirdly, there will be rejoicing. So what is our response to this healing? We're excited, we're rejoicing. I remember back when our son Mitchell was about a year old, maybe younger, Katie got shingles. Anyone ever got shingles before? Killer! Forget about it. It's for those that don't know what shingles is, I think it's like chicken pox for people that have already had chickenpox, and chickenpox on steroids. So it's these localized sort of bit patches of what rash, but they attach themselves to the nerve. So wherever you've got them, they're just there digging and digging and poking, and it's just like permanent pain. So Katie had these shingles with a one-year-old, still feeding. Five months? Oh, my goodness me. It gets worse. So five-month-old and shingles. And a lady from the church here, uh, she came over to our house to deliver a meal from us to help out, which was much appreciated. And poor Katie... When this lady came and gave her the meal and she said, how are you going, Katie couldn't hold it in. She just burst into tears and started weeping and she just felt helpless and stuck. And this kind woman, you know who you are, she she looked at the washing on the floor and the dishes in the sink and she said to Katie, go have a shower, rest, I'll take care of this for you. And Katie had a moment of freedom for rest, for restoration, to care for herself, to keep going. I mean, I'm getting emotional about this and it's the smallest little thing. And it was just a small gesture of kindness, but it's something that Katie will never forget. And it had a massive impact on her that day, and God used it to help her get through this hard time, and we were so humbled and grateful for this act of kindness. And in the second second part of verse 2, Malachi is painting a picture for us of young calves having been locked up in a stall, released to play after a long period of confinement. In other words... We'll be so happy, so refreshed, so renewed that we'll be romping around playing like children. There's not going to be any sense of stoic dignity on this day, you know? We're going to be acting like idiots. Instead, we're going to be like children at recess, released from the confines of the classroom. How, But, but our joy will be much greater because we know, as one commentator, said, commentator says... That we have been delivered completely and forever from the darkness, pain and grief of a world caused, cursed by sin. And that's what it means when the sun of righteousness rises with healing in his wings. And the result will be pure joy for those who have followed Jesus faithfully in this lifetime. I know that when Katie was the recipient of this help from this kind woman, I don't think she was frolicking around laughing and jumping for joy But in her heart, she was soaring. And fourthly, there will be victory. Hallelujah. In verse 3, God says, those faithful will trample on the wicked. He's reiterating his promise to make a very clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Remember that for many people in Israel at this time, it seemed like the wicked were prospering while God's people were suffering. The sinners were having all the fun. They were getting all the glory. Even in our own world, I know growing up in a Christian home, I'd look outside, I guess you could say, of my Christian uh, bubble at the time and see all my mates having all the fun. And I was missing out. But you know, this is the same in countries where Christians are being persecuted at this very moment. What God wants to make clear in this verse is that one day the roles will be reversed. There is a day coming like an oven... And the wicked will be like ashes under the feet of God's faithful people. So, if you don't want your friend, your family member, your spouse, your co-worker to be trampled on and burned to ashes and forgotten, better get out of here and tell them about Jesus. Okay, I'm at the point one now. Let's get ready. You know, in our house, there are three people. One is a beautiful, patient woman. One is a guy who always needs to be told more than once to do something. And the other one is our two-year-old son. I don't know. Is it a guy thing? Is it just me? Friend. Is it something that when this wedding ring came off, my brain shut down? I don't know what happens, but uh, it's, easier. it's easier. Is it? Okay. Sometimes I just need to be told something more than once. I'm not solving for directions, though. <laughs> the verse 4 in our text it's not just for ignorant husbands who need to be uh, reiterated things from time to time. It's for all of us. Verse four says, "Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel." God's saying, "Don't forget the Bible. You need the Bible. Don't forget everything this is God still. Don't forget everything we've been through. Don't forget the laws I set out for you." And me personally, I know what you might be thinking. There's this new covenant that we read about in Jeremiah 31, 31. That was instituted on the cross, right, when Jesus died for us. So we're free from the bonds of law, and if we break all the laws, we're not going to hell, because Jesus saved us. I don't think it's quite that simple. And in these dark times, the moral instructions for God that from God that were etched on the Ten Commandments, I think they're just as relevant, I think they're just as potent, I think they're just as important as ever. You know, Matthew 19, 16, we read about the guy... Uh, we know as the rich man, he comes up to Jesus and said, okay, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. So still being a smart so-and-so, he says, which ones? Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. I want to spend a bit of time on these commandments, is that all right? They're in Exodus 20, thank you Wilma. They're in Exodus 20 if you want to follow along. I'll paraphrase them slightly. Number one, don't worship any other God than the one true God. All other gods are false gods. Worship God alone. That one's simple. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Number two, don't make idols or images in the form of God. An idol can be anything. You worship by making it more important than God. If something or someone has your time, has your attention, has your affections, you're worshipping. It has your worship. It means that it could be an idol in your life. Don't let anything take the place of God in your life. And for me, sometimes that's running. As something as harmless as exercise, is it drawing me to or away from God? And sometimes that's a hard question to answer because you don't like the truth of it. But ask yourself that question about the things that you know are taking your attention. Is it drawing me away from or towards a life in Jesus? Commandment 3 said, Don't treat God's name lightly or with disrespect. Because of God's importance, his name is always to be spoken of reverently and with honour. Always honour God with your words. Application. Well, this isn't just not using God's name as a swear word. It could could be that you need to take the gospel more seriously. You know, when I'm playing in worship, it's not about me or the congregation. It's an audience of one. This message is... It's not about me. It's about your heart and your relationship with Him. For you, it might be the occasional oh my beep. But, um, yeah, don't say it. Number four, dedicate or set aside a regular day each week for rest and worship of the Lord. Now, that's what we're doing here today. We've set aside some time to learn about God, to worship God, um, to minister to one another. But you just hear... Because your partner, your parents, your kids dragged you here? Set time aside to rest and set aside intentional time to be with him. I know that if I was to sit at home all day with Katie, she's a real quality time person. Sat next to her on the couch all day, did nothing really together, just on our phones, watching TV, whatever. But then after dinner, I suggest we just go for a quick 10 minute walk around the block together. That's What's going to have the impact on her? That's what she's going to remember of that day. That's what she's going to say, I felt special, I felt loved. Be intentional with your time with God. Number five, give honour to your father or mother by treating them with respect and obedience. I don't know about you, but I feel that a parent's love is, is the closest love to God's love. It's unconditional as a parent myself, and I have a greater appreciation for my parents now I think it's really good practice to be respectful of your parents for being respectful for God. So just give your mum a hug. Commandment six. Don't kill anyone. Don't deliberately kill a human being. Don't hate people or hurt them with words and actions either. Because, you know, I don't think it's just about respecting each other's bodies. Uh, I think emotional abuse is, is just as powerful and for some can be far more damaging than anything physical. So be kind. Number seven, don't have sexual relationships with anyone other than your spouse. God forbids sex outside the bounds of marriage. Respect your body and other people's bodies. You know, um, as a man, I've been trying to learn a little bit more about this, how I can be better in this space. And I found out that men have a chemical in their brains that when they see something sexual and are stimulated, the body has the same reaction as if they were actually acting on it. And that's what Jesus means in Matthew 5, 28. He says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's actually in our bodies as well. So bounce those eyes, fellas. And for women, it's a similar thing on an emotional level. I'm not the expert, but I I, I believe that, you know, we, ladies, you, we, need to be... (laughs) I don't want to, you know, point the finger... Be careful with those bachelorette shows and those married at first sights. You know that's like porn for the heart, no? Number eight: Don't steal. Don't take anything that doesn't belong to you unless you have been given permission to do so. That speaks for itself. But I must confess, earlier this morning, I did use a line from Craig Sermon. I didn't ask him for permission, so I'm sorry, brother, for that. Number nine: Don't tell a lie about something or bring false accusation against another person. Always tell the truth. And, you know, something I struggle with, and you might be the same, is sometimes not telling the truth is easier than not lying. I know it's been... I'm talking about my marriage a lot today. It's a bit of a counselling session. That's all right. But it's something that I struggle with, and it drives Katie nuts. Uh, Hand to heart, I rarely lie to my wife. But I often leave things out in conversation, which really means I'm not telling the truth, which makes me a liar. And I don't even realize I'm doing it. So there's a bit of uh, openness for you guys. Pray for me. Number 10, do not desire anything or anyone that doesn't belong to you. Comparing yourself to others and longing to have what they have can lead to jealousy, envy, and other sins. Be content by focusing on the blessings God has given you and not what he has not given you. He's given it to you for a reason. Be thankful for what he's given to you. And this is really, really hard. But here's one you can try. This might help. Every night before bed, just thank God for three things. Start small. So we started this recently, Katie and I. Thank him for the coffee you had this morning. Thank, you for the, thank him for the freedom you had to worship this morning. Um, for the fun movie you saw with friends. It will get deeper, I promise. But you know what's really fun? This is a game that I like to play with Katie. So what we do uh, in the evening is we tell each other the three things we're thankful for. And then the other person, pray we pray for each other's um, thank, thank points. So a few weeks ago, I told Katie I was thankful for my beautiful wife and her gift of singing in church. So her prayer was, Dear God, thank you for me. Thank you for my beauty. Thank you for my lovely singing voice. I killed two birds with one stone there. (laughs) But Jesus, these Ten Commandments, Jesus, as we know, he was a big fan of these. But he had a special edition when one of the big brain professors tried to trip him up and pick a favourite. To Matthew 22 from verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what I love, and this is what ties us to Malachi 3. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything we're reading, it's connected to this. Just love the Lord your God. The end of this book in Malachi, as I've said, God doesn't speak to his people for 400 more years. I like what Graham said in the first first installment of this series. He's, just, he's described time frames as people. So let's say the average person lives to 80. 400 divided by 80 equals, carry the two, that's five people. So five people worth, five generations, is how long it's going to be until God necessarily speaks. So remembering the law of Moses and keeping it is what will help the people of Israel persevere as God's covenant people for the next 400 years as they wait in silence for the arrival of God's Messiah. So are we not also in this same time where we're relying on God's Holy Spirit speaking through God's word to help us persevere through our own times of difficulty, our own times of waiting, where sometimes it might seem like God is silent. So go to your word, go to the law. Point two. When someone says to me, get ready, the main image that I get is, is a basic one. It's preparing myself for the day. So I wake up, I exercise, I feed myself, I dress myself, I clean myself, I do it all by myself. I'm what a big boy. I did it today. Get my gear together and go out into the day. Have you ever left for the day without your phone? with no chance of having it back. I know that some of you might you know, be having some anxious feeling in your stomach, twisted knot, just waves of anxiety, thinking about not having your phone on you. You'd feel naked without it, don't you? Disconnected, lost, because like, the phone's actually become an extension of our bodies, hasn't it? But we take so much care of our physical selves each morning. What do we do for our spiritual selves? To tackle those unseen challenges out there, you know, loving the Lord with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind is really hard. For a spiritual fight, a pair of slacks and shoes they won't do. We need armor. Do you put on the armor of God each day? Do you know what items you have at your disposal? Do you know what powers they possess? Let's open up Ephesians and have a quick study of these tools. In Ephesians 6 from verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's go through these items. The belt is so important because it holds everything together. Keeps your pants up. And if, you, if you've got one of those super cool cats with a Nokia phone with a belt clip, you can put it on your belt. But his truth is what holds this whole thing together. The truth of Jesus. He said, You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The great truths of the Bible, the love of God, the salvation through faith in Christ, the second coming, the forgiveness of sins, grace and power to live for Jesus. These truths set us free from Satan's lies. This belt is also our personal commitment to truth to living a life that's upright, transparent, without deceit. Integrity and honesty are vital to our Christian life. People should know that they can depend on you to be a person of truth and principle. The breastplate, that protects the vital organs. And the most important organ is the heart. Proverbs 4 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. This righteousness isn't made up of the good things we do and the boxes we tick off. The Bible is clear in Romans that none of us are righteous in ourselves. The breastplate of righteousness is entirely the righteousness of Jesus, which he gives us freely when we accept him as our saviour. So accept and believe that his, this righteousness is for you and put it on to protect your heart. The shoes of the gospel. Now you know there's going to be obstacles along the way that we need to shimmy around and climb over. We need some slick wheels to keep us going. And John says, He who, John says, he who says he abides in him, Jesus, ought to himself also walk just as he walked. Satan will try to place obstacles in our path, but in Jesus' strength, we can walk forward, following our Lord, obeying him, and advancing the gospel. And you know why? This is why one of Luke's favorite catchphrases is, Learn it, believe it, and then send it to your feet because that's where the gospel lives. If we sit in our chairs with with the the truth in our heart and in our head, we're not doing what God's asked us to do. It's just going to go stagnant. The shield of faith. This faith is not something that's just conjured up within us. Again, it's God's gift to us. In Romans, we read that he gives us each a measure of faith. And as we walk with him, that faith grows and develops until it becomes a shield protecting us and allowing us to live a victorious life in Christ. Paul said that in Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Satan's going to hurl a lot at you, especially if he sees you wearing any of the other cool tools. So when you doubt, you hold that shield up. And the helmet of salvation is is in a similar way to the shield. The helmet of salvation protects us, but this time the head, which is such a dangerous weapon for Satan. I like to think John 3.16 is the best helmet brand on the market. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When we have a sure knowledge of that salvation, we will not be moved by Satan's deceptions. We're certain, when we're certain, that we're in Christ with our sins forgiven, we have a peace that nothing can disturb. The sword of the Spirit, this is the only offensive weapon listed in the armour of God. All the other parts are defensive in nature. God's word, the Bible, is described in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews? That's a little spelling mistake. It's not in Hebrews. It's described when Jesus used this weapon when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. To each of Satan's efforts to lead him to sin, Jesus replied, it is written, and proceeded to quote scripture, to destroy Satan's temptations. This news is living. It's powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That's why it's so powerful. That's why it's so important that we study the Bible and become familiar with its truths and its power. David wrote, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay, just summarize this whole getting ready thing. Stick with the word. But remember Alistair Begg. When we take our eyes off Jesus, we lose our way around the Bible. So start with the letters that are read and go from there. And try to stick to those commandments. It's, It's not easy, but you might even just choose to focus on one to be the theme of your week. I don't know how many weeks left in the year. Maybe 10, 7, 8, 6, only 4 well, no, 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 Anyway, choose one this week. That would have been cool if there was 10 weeks left. Choose one and meditate on that one. And of course, love God and love each other. Before you leave the house each day, when you pat yourself for the keys, the wallet, the phone, the handbag, I want you to wake up the neighbours with a righteous clunk of that suit of armour. Amen? Okay, the last part of Malachi 4 talks a little bit about repentance. It says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. This prophet who spoke in the spirit and power of Elijah was John the Baptist. John characterised the Lord as a Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he told us to repent, for the kingdom is at hand. A great description, a summary of John the Baptist, uh, was directly from the angel to uh, his dad, Zechariah, before he was born. In Luke 1.13, But the, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you were to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring many people back to the... He will bring many... He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord of our God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the heart's of the parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Jesus himself made it clear that repentance is key, urging people to turn to God and ask for forgiveness for their sins in Matthew. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. By admitting your sins and repenting, it's possible to be spiritually refreshed, and rejuvenated from Acts. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And from Ezekiel, if a wicked person turns away from all the sins they've committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. They will not die. None of the offenses they've committed will be remembered against them. Phew, that's good news. Now, I don't know about you, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard this phrase, repent all the time. Repent, yeah, I'm going to repent. Yeah, let's do some repenting. I know time is getting away with us, but I want to do a real quick study on repentance. It's just a five-point strategy to repent. So number one, if you want to write this down, be honest. Be honest about your need to repent. Look into your heart and see the yucky stuff and say, yeah, that shouldn't be there. And number two, acknowledge that the yucky stuff is actually dangerous. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your loved ones. It's hurting God. And it could mean, up you end, could mean you end up in the fire. And number three, you fully confess. You open your heart to God and you raise your hand and say, God, I stuffed up. And number four, you hide in God. Remember what Adam and Eve did? They hid from God. Don't cover yourself up with deceit and sin. Be covered in his blood. He'll take the sin away and you'll be safe as you are saved. And number five, seize the hope. Remember his promises throughout the Bible. There's a quick psalm that I got these five points from. It's Psalm 32. I'll just read some snippets. Blessed is the one whose sin, whose sin the Lord does not count against them and who, and in whose spirit is not deceit. So that's the honesty stuff. For a day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the summer heat. So you've got to acknowledge that you are drowned, you drained from this, from this sin. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's the full confession. Uh, verse 7, Psalm 32. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Hide in him. How cool. And back down to verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. That's the hope that we need to seize. Okay, let's wrap this thing up, and I close. Let's just not wait for the big day. Don't be like the guy in my nightmares, waking up and at the starting line, ready for the big race, but already exhausted, not wearing any shoes, be prepared. When I enter these big running races, they're often interstate So there's a lot of travel involved, there's different sleeping arrangements, different food options to consider, and you know I feel nervous, but I have peace because I've done everything I can. I've trained as much as I can, and I feel as ready as I can be. But you know what's the the best thing about this, this running thing for me is I train all the time, which means I have to eat better, and all this exercise means I stress less, which means I weigh less, I get to get outside and I see nature. I educate myself. I meet new people. I train my mind to push through these hurdles and I get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I love this part of running. This is what gets me going. Like the race is only two hours. Running touches many parts of my life and I've fallen fallen in love with the process as much as I have with the outcome. Our life with Jesus is not just about the end times. God didn't give us these years on earth for no reason. Don't look at your salvation as a one-time event in the past. If you're not repenting of your sins and believing in Jesus for your salvation, what are you doing with Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus right now? Do you know what Jesus believes about you? When he saved you, he kept you. He gave you a new heart full of faith and you believe in him. And you should keep believing him and trusting him every day until the end. Jesus has come, and he has promised to come again. But don't wait until race day. Fall in love with the process, a daily relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being faithful to your promises time and time again throughout history. You promised to send a saviour, and we're humbled by your merciful sacrifice. And now you promise a great and final day of judgment, and we know you will be true to this promise also. We don't want to live idly and wait for this day and just see what happens. We want to be ready. Help us to be disciplined, Lord, in living the life you want us to live. Help us to love each other as you've asked, and most of all, to love you. As we put on the armour of God each day, may your Holy Spirit be with us also. May we hold to your truth, be protected by your righteousness, walk with the news of the gospel. May our faith shield us from our enemies and your salvation protect our mind as we carry your word as a weapon in our world. Jesus, we're sorry for the sins we've done and the damage they've caused. Thank you for taking them away from the cross. We can't wait to meet you face to face. Help us to be ready for that great day. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.